0: Well, God is good, isn't he? Yeah, do you believe that? Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to invite God, who is good, never thought an evil thought about us, only has good intention for us. We're going to invite God to speak into our families this week. Those that are here in the building with you, those that may not be. Uh, God uniquely put our church, we believe in this city, in this world, to reach out to families. And today we're gonna get a chance to talk to him about that. So I'm gonna pray here in just a minute, invite you to join with me. I'm gonna invite you to open up your heart to the word of God that we're gonna share together. But would you also take a moment and ask the good, good God who loves you deeply, who's committed to your family to do his profound work in them as well. So would you bow with me right now? Father, thank you for loving us so deeply. Thank you for being a good, good father. We come to you, Lord, and we ask you to do your work in our families. Today, Father, for the men and women in this room, open our hearts, open our minds to receive all that you have for us. But God, not just in this building, but outside of this building, would you reach down and would you touch our families? God, we don't believe that your good work is accomplished fully in every person. So Father, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, Would your Holy Spirit reach down and touch their hearts, draw them closer to you, pull them back home, remind them that they are your child, that you have a plan and purpose for them. God, thank you for having the privilege of being in a church that is so committed to what you're doing in this world and what you're doing in families. We give you glory today, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. You're in for such a treat because I am being joined on the stage today by my favorite person in this whole church. Uh, This is my wife, Jill. She's also my favorite person in the whole world. So um, in case you were wondering, and today we're going to give what became a two-part message. Uh, last week, I was talking through a set of principles, and I had intended to talk to men, husbands primarily, and to women, wives primarily. But um, I have found myself talking kind of from my heart more and more to the men and just ran out of time to talk to the women. And so today, I thought that it might be really, really cool if I could bring my favorite person up here with you to talk with you about a subject that can be very difficult to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at four primary passages together. And we're going to discover God's heart for wives today. Um, Everywhere the Bible talks to wives, where the New Testament addresses wives, it says largely the same thing. Now, in the Bible, whenever you find something repeated over and over and over again, there's 66 unique books in the Bible written by several authors over a long period of time to several different specific cultures and situations, and anytime you find something repeated across that literature, it means it's a big deal. So, for instance, the resurrection of Jesus is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and specifically in seven of Paul's 11 letters. It, the resurrection is central to our faith. We know that because in part it was repeated with clarity over and over and over again. And today's passages are going to, through several different places and times and authors, say to women, something, to wives, something pretty powerful. And so I'm not talking today primarily to people who are Um, not following Jesus. We're talking primarily today to people who are following Jesus. But if you're not, there might still be some stuff that you can get from it. So if you want to follow along in your message notes, here was the front of them. On the back, you can follow along. And we'll start with our primary statement today. It's a statement that I think will help us get motivated. And while you're getting all that together, your pen and stuff, Jill, welcome. Thank you. Welcome to the stage. I'm really, really glad to do this. How many times do you think we've done this over the years? Too exactly. So, yeah, yeah. You, uh, uh, just so you know, I didn't ask her early because then she'd have like a month to get ready. And that would be awesome, right? Except she would be worried the whole month. So she found out uh, this week that this is what I wanted to do because we're kind of calling an audible here. Um, but man, um, the feedback from first morning service was just, um, uh, first service this morning was just, just incredible. But before we jump into everything, so a few weeks ago, I told the story of how we met. Um, but I left out my favorite part of the whole story Uh, why don't you if you don't mind catch folks up maybe who weren't here to the abbreviated story and then tell them my favorite part
1: okay so um, yeah a few weeks ago he did say that when we were in college we met um, in the Student Center we were both business majors and we were headed to um, Memphis that weekend for a business trip and so we did meet on Thursday That weekend, we did spend a lot of time together hanging out on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Um, There was a guy named John that was pursuing me that I had said yes to a date. Um, I blocked him. Yes, you did. (laughs) Um, And, um, but at the end of the weekend, this is the part he left out, I called mom when I got back to the dorm on Sunday night and said, Mom, I met the guy this weekend that I'm going to marry. Um, not John and it wasn't but John. Yeah, it was this guy here. <laughs> and um, of course I didn't tell him that, but no. I told her I just I knew.
0: Yeah, and so Jill's a very smart lady. It's one of the things that attracted me to her first, and um, so she didn't tell me that till like, we were engaged. I was so glad because had she told me too early, I think I might would have <laughs> scurried away. Jill was so much more ready to be an adult than, than I was um, when we first met. And today, in fact, you're going to get to hear some of our story as we have tried to build a life together. And i got to tell you, our perspective up here today is not experts. Uh, I'm not an expert at what we're talking about today. And uh, specifically, I'm not an expert at all in what it means to be a godly and honoring and biblical wife. I clearly don't know how to do that, but you got one of the best representations of that that I can think of up here today. But for both of us, we're not experts. Uh, In fact, a lot of the stuff we're talking about last week when I spoke to men, and now this week when we talk to, to ladies... Um, We're growing through this. Uh, This is a journey. We don't have it figured out. Uh, I'm certainly not where I was, you know, which is good. I I like to say it this way. I'm not who I was. I'm not where I was, and uh, God's not done with me yet, right? So anybody else can agree with that? So we're growing on this journey, and uh, you're going to hear then today from some fellow travelers Um, as we talk about what the Bible, what the New Testament primarily has to say to wives. And uh, its voice is very consistent, um, which means I think that disciples of Jesus who are women should really wrestle with this text. And I think you're going to have to because it gets to the bedrock of some very core issues in our lives. Um, So tell folks what it's like to be up here and uh, kind of the perspective that you have as we begin this.
1: Well, um, as you said, we're fellow travelers, and so when he asked me, I'm like, uh, I don't get this right a lot, and so I don't really feel qualified, you know, to come up here and speak. And he's like, "Well, basically the same thing you just said. I'm not where I was. I I know what the passage says. I want to be better. Um, just speak from your heart." Yeah.
0: So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to going to speak from our heart and. Um, So if you'll give us a certain amount of grace to tell our story, now there's, what we're going to try to do, it won't be as crystal clear perhaps to you, is we're going to try to make a distinction between our story and what we've learned and what we think the Bible explicitly says. And now those circles over our lap in our life because we have believed that God gave us the word of God, the Bible, specifically, primarily the New Testament is the primary place that Christians look for to determine how to live the life God's called us to live. And so we've looked to that passage, but it doesn't tell us every detail of how to work it out in every situation. So we've taken principles and we've applied them to our lives, and we're hoping that today that encourages you, gives you some things to think about. But even if our examples of how we've done it don't connect with you, please don't dismiss the passages we're talking about. Um, They are for every believer. They are still applicable today. They are not the kinds of things that are so culturally bound in an ancient time that they don't speak today. Sometimes it's fashionable in churches to say, oh, that was just for then. It's not really for now. And there are a handful of places in the New Testament where that's true. But everything in the New Testament, everything, the principles can be extracted and lived in today's modern world. That's the power and the authority of the word of God. And so our goal is to bend towards it, not explain it away. And we have to do that. You're going to see why because right now the very first passage that we're actually going to look at uh, is going to like jump into the speed bump but to get you ready for it let me tell you our guiding principle for today. So at the top of your message notes here's what it says. It says when I focus on fulfilling my responsibilities rather than exerting my rights my marriage will go beyond my wildest dreams. So if you're not married today, here's why you should listen, maybe you want to be. Maybe you were. Uh, maybe that can help you, but understand what went wrong. Maybe you can do an autopsy on your situation, but you know, people that are married and this marriage dynamic impacts our world, our culture and people you love to such a degree that today I'm going to give you a tool that you can use to help people who are struggling and you're going to know them. They're all around you. They're all in this church. But not just a tool for others. This is really the challenge in Christianity. Sometimes we know so much stuff, we've always got a tool for other people can use, and other people can use, and other people can use. And it's usually a great tool, but that's not the primary purpose of your engagement of Scripture. The primary purpose of your engagement of Scripture is to pull out of it what God wants for you, not what he wants to give you to give to others. It's primarily for you, and then as God does His deep work in you, then you're most equipped to give and share with others. And so don't miss the opportunity today to wrestle with these emotional passages that I think, if done well, can bring incredible life to you. And I think if ignored, begin to bring death. So here's what we're going to focus on is our responsibilities. Now in America? <laughs> have you been watching the news for the last 50 years? We love our rights. And we believe in America. We got rights, baby. In fact, we enshrined our rights in our biggest documents. Our primary documents actually don't even say that the documents give us our rights. We went so far as to say our creator has endued us with certain indelible rights. That's how serious we take our rights around here. And so it's, in America, very easy to talk about rights. And in marriages, it's very easy to talk about what they owe you, what he should do, what she should do, your rights. But... If you want life in your marriage, there needs to be less discussion about your rights and what you're owed and what you deserve, and more about what you're supposed to bring to the marriage. In fact, some of you are stuck because all you do is swap stories of what the other person owes you, and nobody's bold enough to start saying, here's my job and what I'm supposed to bring. Is that direct enough for you? When you focus on your responsibilities, you can bring life you focus on your rights, I'm telling you, if that's the only thing you're focusing on, you're going in the wrong direction. The only caveat, quid pro quo we're going to give today is this one. Some of what we're going to talk about today has been used to subvert God's agenda, to create ugly environments, to be abusive. Nothing we're saying today is meant to encourage that or underscore that. If that's been your experience, if you saw in your family or in people close to you, people using the things we're gonna talk about today to hurt people, not honor God or God's people, I'm really sorry. That's really tough to get over. And I don't wanna be dismissive of that. I just don't have time to get into all of that today. We're gonna focus on the positive side of this equation and look at how this stuff followed by a sincere and glad heart can make a dramatic difference in your marriage. So Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 through 24 in your message notes, here's what our Bible says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the very first word is the word we're going to focus primarily on today the word submit. And I'm talking to women primarily today, but this passage reminds us that submitting is the job of men and women. All of us have to submit. All of us who are followers of Jesus submit to the lordship of Jesus. And the truth is, in this room, there are some men right now who are not walking in submission, they're in willful, disobedient sin before their heavenly Father. They're not submitted to the will of God. They're not walking under the lordship of Jesus, and they're bringing harm to themselves and their families. And there are some women doing the same thing. Exactly. So, submission is not a conversation primarily just for women, it's for disciples. But when it comes to a man who is married to a specific woman, that one marriage context, we're going to talk about ours. You need to think about yours. You can think about your parents, perhaps, and think about what you want or how you would encourage somebody who's looking for real help. When you think about one specific marriage, the passages we're looking at today speak to that, your specific situation. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So we're not talking about submitting to men in general. This is not women submitting to men. This is a wife submitting to her husband, her own husband. Nobody else's husband, her own husband, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And now we're on the toughest part of the whole conversation, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. um, I think that I came into marriage, and it should have been easy for me because I um, grew up in a Christian home. My parents are still married, almost 57 years. um, and, And Ben has been, you know, an easy guy to love. And he's got integrity. He doesn't lie. He's... You know, sometimes I hear stories about how men are, are never home or they are disengaged. That's not the case. And so I feel like it should have been easy, but it's not. Do you have anything
0: else good to say about this
1: <laughs> That's it. That's all, That's all I got.
0: <laughs> so here it is. You were set up with some good tools. Yeah. But you still found this a difficult I found situation.
1: this very hard. Yeah.
0: So if somebody's sitting here today and the subject brings up emotion or if they're honest and they said, hey, it's hard for me, what would you say to them?
1: that you're not alone and i think it's hard for any woman to um there's that control word to not have control and um, that's how i think of that word as you know be willing to give control to someone else your husband and that's hard
0: yeah so where has this um mechanically shown up in like our situation let's be You guys will give us, I hope, a certain amount of grace to be transparent up here. So go ahead.
1: Um, So, and this is a story that we've heard in others too, but certainly we've lived it. Um, We had been married a a while, probably seven, eight years before this really um, came up as a a bad problem. And it's really because for the first, you know, six, seven years of our marriage, in many ways, I was serving as you know kind of I was in control of stuff. I you know paid the bills. I you know kind of worked on our calendar. I determined you know where we were going to go and when and so because we pretty much agreed on everything it wasn't an issue and so we didn't argue a lot because we were coming you know to our marriage from the same place and we would like the same things. We wanted to spend our money on the same stuff and so it wasn't really a problem. I just did stuff, and, and you were there, and you did it, and all seemed to be good. And then one day, he's like, hmm, I'm not really liking this whole Jill tends to run everything. Yeah. But I was. <laughs> yeah,
0: she, you loved it, and I woke up and realized I'm not enjoying this dynamic. So let me give you my perspective. Uh, one of the things I love most about Jill is she's a very strong woman. So Jill is smart. I never wanted to marry a dumb person. And so Jill's not dumb. She's incredibly intelligent. She did great in college. She has an earned MBA. She has a demanding job with incredible responsibilities. She can juggle better than anybody, not physically, but like juggle stuff, important stuff, very, very well. I mean, she's incredibly competent, and I've just been attracted to that um, uh, my whole life. My mom was a strong woman, and so when I met Jill, I was like, wow, she's beautiful, and she's put together, and she's organized. But there was something else going on, and it took me about 15 years to wake up to to discover about eight years after we really started fighting about this stuff, I discovered part of where my problem was. Um, Jill was more ready to be an adult than I was when we got married. That's just the truth. She was well into adulting, and I was thinking about being an adult. I was, still, I was 20. I was at the ripe, wise age of 20 when we got married. Right? I was
1: at the age of 21.
0: Yeah. And so I'll be honest with you straight up, friends. I was more mature than most folks I knew who were 30. That's the truth. And I gave myself incredible permission to hold on to certain pieces of my adolescence. So when Jill wanted to take responsibility for some complex decisions with far-reaching implications, I was like, whew, I don't have to. And I did that in big and small ways, repetitively. And Jill just stepped to the forefront. And that doesn't mean I was a, a louse. I was going through grad school and doing that stuff, too, and growing... And then I woke up one day and realized, I really don't have much of a voice in this relationship. I outsourced it pretty much all to her. Now, I think the Lord redeems all things. And so let me just tell you, one of the number one things I hear from men in this church, so ladies, I'm not talking about out there, I'm talking about in here. One of the number one things I hear from men in this church is, is, when I try to exercise my voice in my marriage, it feels like it's not welcomed. When I try to say I just need an equal voice, forget superior or whatever, whatever you think submission might be, but we'll get to those definitions in a minute. But when I just try to have an equal voice, I feel like it's not really warranted. And the truth is, there's a lot of guys carried a certain adolescence into the early stages of their marriage. And then when they were ready to be a man and have the respect a man deserves and have the voice and authority a man should have to be admired, to be desired, those sorts of things, they didn't have a track record of really living up to that. And so here's the thing. Everything we're talking about easy is easier today, ladies. Everything we're talking about today is easier if the man you live with is owning his responsibility to bring what he's supposed to bring to the marriage and not let you do it all. And men, if you're struggling with this a little bit and maybe you're 10 years into your marriage or so, the truth is is you might be partly responsible because you don't have a track record of really being responsible. As a contributor to the health of your marriage. A little bit of that was true, wasn't it? And so then I woke up and realized, oh, I'm ready to be a man now. And I'm ready for you to treat me like a man. But you had been used to, in some ways, kind of a little bit, this is going to sound so Freudian, kind of being a mom to me a little bit. Like, I got a different kind of mom, and it, the metaphor breaks down on a thousand levels, but Freud was a little bit onto something here. And so I had a little bit of a thing where I was glad for you to take the responsibility. And I came to our marriage well-equipped to get this right. It, I heard my parents have deep discussions many times. My mom was very strong. They disagreed. But then it was not unusual in my home to hear this, this phrase. I heard this at least six, seven times. My dad's name is Benny. Um, just like mine, so I had homies called Benny, and so my mom would say, Benny, God's going to hold you accountable for this family and how you lead it. I disagree with you right now, but you're the one going to give an answer to God, so we're going to do it your way. And I remember the first time I heard my mom say that to my dad, I was like, oh, crud, what's he going to do now? <laughs> because the stakes just got really high. You're going to get your way. You better make sure it's what you want. That's how my mom did it. Oh, repeatedly, She was incredibly respectful to my dad. Always had a voice, very intelligent, a go-getter. But at the end of the day, she acquiesced when they disagreed. Most of the time they agreed. But when they disagreed, she had a voice. It was known, but she acquiesced to my dad's leadership. And for her and for us, she did that because she believed at the end of the day, a wife submits to her husband in matters where they disagree, as they're both trying to follow Christ. And as you can see, that right there makes this a tough conversation to have in today's culture. I want to challenge you on this. This is no more difficult than stretching out the implications of grace or forgiveness that are Christian doctrines. If you really want to talk about grace, the culture here doesn't believe in grace. We all want grace, none of us want to give it. We all want people to submit, none of us want to be the submitter. And yet we believe, we believe the Bible teaches that in the family, in a marriage, in a Christian marriage, not all marriages, I don't know how this stuff applies to non-Christian marriages. I couldn't tell you about that. And I don't know how this applies to the workplace. I don't think it speaks to that. But in a marriage between a man and a woman, we believe that life comes better and everybody's better served. The marriage is healthier when a wife says to her husband consistently, God's going to hold you accountable for how you're leading and where you're taking this family. And the husband gets serious in his leadership role of the family. So that's not the only place where we saw this stuff kind of show up, is it?
1: No, but let me, um, before we move on, one question that I had to learn to ask, which um, is a really simple question. It's only four words, but it's a hard one. Um, But it helps. And so I would encourage any of you that are out there that are, my story resonates with, is ask your husband sometimes, what do you think? And I know that um, sounds simple, but at the heart of that, um, it's meaningful to ask if you really want to hear the answer, because sometimes I would ask and not really want to hear the answer just to, you know, what do you think? But I'm really hoping he agrees because, oh, no, what am I going to do if he doesn't agree? Um, but that, that question has brought you know, sometimes peace to a difficult situation.
0: Yeah. And Jill nailed that. The root of that question is, is do you really want to hear? And ladies, I want to remind you, one of the most frequent things I hear around here is she really doesn't want to hear me. Like, I don't really have a voice around here. Now, we can debate whether or not he should or shouldn't, but for many men in our church, they feel like they don't. They don't feel like there's just that adequate, you know, my voice carries the appropriate weight that it should. And I don't think that's unique to our church. Um, So let's look at another passage for just a second, just to kind of make sure that we do the diligence here to let the Scripture wash over us, all right? So Colossians chapter 3, right there in your message notes. Again, it begins with the women. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord husbands. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Remember, last week, man, I spent 45 minutes telling you to commit to three things. Love your wife no matter what. Love your wife no matter what. Do whatever it takes. Step up, serve, do whatever it takes, and then commit to be gentle with her no matter what happens. We said that we believe that the Ephesians passage, that's what it was calling men to do. And so, men, if you do that, it will make it easier for your wife then to bring the appropriate honor and respect to you. But I think one of the reasons why every passage in the Bible that speaks to the marriage dynamic begins with the woman. You have them here. They begin with the woman. I think I, I this is me speculating. I think I know what part of that's about. I think that it's very easy for people to say to the husbands, men, if you would just do it right all the time, if you would lead right, if you'd speak right, if your words were always kind, if they're always well-timed, if you would do it right, then your wife would do it right. And I just want to call crap on that. That's not true. Man, I want to tell you something. You could be perfect. And ladies, I want to tell you something. Your husband could be perfect. Now, I know he's not. But you would still have to wrestle, what does it mean to submit? You would. If you want to take these passages seriously, seriously. like if you really want to let your role as a disciple be informed by these passages, wives... Even if your husband was perfect, you would struggle with submitting. That's why it shows up so often in the scriptures. It goes all the way back to what the Bible says in the Garden of Eden. The part of the curse would be that there would be this battle, this struggle for supremacy in the marriage. When it really should be two servants trying to outserve one another. So men, should you step into your role as a leader, as a disciple, as a servant like never before? Absolutely, And if you've been waiting to do that, shame on you. Now's your day. Go home get started. But ladies, I want to let you know something. Even if he does, while it will be easier for you, it will not come easy to you. Because your journey with Christ calls you to submit to an imperfect person. And I know that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But what if he's wrong? What if he's imperfect? I guarantee you he is. And I guarantee you he is imperfect. But let, me, let me just turn the tables for a second. This, I don't mean this to be harsh. Do you realize that your husband has to love an imperfect wife and serve an imperfect wife? I I know, I know. That's not fair. My wife should have said that and it'd be more palatable. But God calls me to love an imperfect woman. Now, she's perfect for me, but she's imperfect. And where do I draw strength to do that from? I draw that from Christ. Christ loves me and I'm imperfect and he loves me perfectly. So out of that realization that I'm imperfect, I should be able to love an imperfect person. That's what the Bible teaches. And where should a wife draw inspiration to submit to a husband who isn't always respectable and honorable? (laughs) Draw that from Christ, who submitted himself to the will of the Father and submitted himself to the good of humanity. Just think about that. He gave all that he had and became less than. The creator of the universe takes off his robes of royalness and divinity in some real sense and chooses to put on the form of humanity, retained his deity, but it isn't as visible. He submits. And why is that who you have to draw your attention from? So the Bible says, Husbands in Colossians, love your wives, don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Again, in the role of the family, wives are called to submit. And I don't know all that that means for you ladies that are married in the room. Those of you that want to be married one day, I don't know all that it means. But guess who is the one person in the universe who should prayerfully figure this out for You. 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 And guess what's at stake if you don't? An incredible amount of God's goodness and favor that wants to be poured into your marriage as you're obedient will not come to you. Where there's disrespect, where there's not appropriate valuing of each person in a home, all manner of craziness happens. What are some other things that you would say, hey, when you think about submission, you just want to make sure it gets gets spoken about. Sure.
1: Um, well, one, one tool I would say is the, the question, what do you think? Um, another one is prayer. Um, we've been married almost 30 years, and um, I'm you know ashamed to say that it's really been in the last decade that I have pressed into praying for Ben um, in a way that is meaningful for me and meaningful for him. And I think if I had done that earlier, sometimes it would have been easier for me to submit if I had been a more prayerful person because it's hard if I'm praying for Ben and praying that God use him and, you know, God bless him and God, you know, be with him as he leads this church and our family. um, If I come from that place and that mindset, it's harder to be sarcastic when we're talking or to, um, you know, kind of throw a fit if I don't get my way, um, if I'm coming at a, with a place, you know, from a place of prayer.
0: Yeah. And so I, I, we did it in first service, if you wouldn't mind again, just to kind of make it tangible. Would you mind to show folks kind of just um, what we do? Because I think sometimes when we talk about prayer, people think it's like this hugely big task and there's this, you know, uh, expectation that comes with it. That's got to be something incredibly profound, but Yeah, some of the most meaningful prayers in the New Testament aren't very long. So just show folks kind of how you you pray for me, if you don't mind. Do you mind?
1: Yeah. God, be with Ben today as he leads your church. God, give him boldness and confidence to lead. God, be with him as he leads the family that you've blessed him with. God, give him patience and kindness. God, be with me as I go throughout my day. Help me to be a respectful wife. God, help me um, to be a good mom. God, be with our children wherever they are. God, help them to know the call that you've placed on their life and help them to feel you in a real way. Amen.
0: Amen. So uh, that happens in our home with a certain amount of regularity. And I'm gonna tell you something. Even though the words change very little, if there's something specific going on, she'll adjust to that. But when she prays for me like that, I'm just telling you my spine stiffens a bit. I walk a little more boldly. Um, It's very cool to know that I have a wife who'll pray for me and pray God's best over me and serve me in that way. And then when I hear her call out good things in me, it's what I want to aspire to do anyway. The good thing about Jill is she's never used it as a manipulative tool. God let Ben know I'm right today. Help him to, yes, there's not been any of that. You know, just a genuine prayer for my... Well, there's been
1: that. You just haven't heard
0: it. Jill's very smart, as I told you. (laughs) And so she's just, you know, those are the things she does in her private prayer closet more frequently than she she brings out. Now, the primary passage we want to look at today, where I think there's four big commitments or focuses that a Christian wife can, um, and to some degree women in general, but primarily a wife can focus on, is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, so uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Here's, here's what the Bible says. Again, it begins with wives. Um, so remember, wives, no matter how good your husband is, he can't be good enough to make you want to do this all the time. This is a spiritual struggle. It really is. It has to be approached with a certain amount of humility. Um, and you've got to figure out the mechanics with your husband, with your Lord. We can only make suggestions, but you can't dismiss it. I mean, to dismiss Scripture is disobedience. It's, you, you can't just wipe it away. You've got to struggle with this and work through it. So wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, your husbands, not other husbands, all right, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. It's interesting here. Peter, acknowledges that some husbands don't follow the word. That is, they're not walking in obedience. Even then you have to figure out what submission looks like. And there's a certain way to engage your husband when he's disobedient to the word and the will of the Father, to the word of God, that can actually win a husband over. So let me just speak to that for a second, ladies. Um, I don't know all that this passage can mean, but let me tell you how it worked out in my family. My mom came to Christ first. My mom's a strong woman. She came to Christ first, and her home life was pretty jacked up. Her father was an alcoholic. My mom was one of 18 children between one man and one woman. Woo! Crazy. That's the truth. My mom was number 17, and by the time she got to be a teenager, her parents were just old and kind of worn out. So my mom was largely on her own. My mom liked to party. Uh, My mom liked to drink. My mom had a sarcastic mouth. My mom loved the 60s. That gave her all the women power. She needed to do whatever she wanted to do. So when she and my dad got married, they got married because they were basically from the same area. They were living in Chicago. They were from Appalachia, but lived in the same area. So they had a lot in common. And uh, she thought my dad was cute, vice versa. They had a certain amount of physical chemistry. But at the end of the day, they just had a lot in common, except that my mom brought into the marriage a certain spunkiness. That's the best way to say that but a certain just, oh, heck no, you're not going to tell me what to do attitude. And that's fine. I, that's where they were. My dad will tell you to this day, if you meet him, what couple of things resulted in his bending his knee before the Lord as the Lord. What was it? My dad would tell you that the Lord grabbed his heart in a big way around forgiveness. But mechanically, the biggest thing that happened was my dad saw the change in my mom. When my mom gave her life to Christ, came home and told my dad, I got saved tonight. My dad said, well, we'll see about that. That was his encouragement. That's how it started. And my dad said, overnight almost, the sarcastic mouth from your mother went away. And just her argumentative spirit quieted. She started asking me what I thought and listening to me. And instead of making demands, she started asking for things. And he said, literally, I saw such a change in her. And when I started going to church later, I was more ready to receive because of the way she acted. I knew that whatever happened in her was real. So you do with it what you want with that. And you, you know, if you need to dismiss it because of your emotional baggage, that's fine. The Lord will be patient with you. But if you're not happy with where your husband is, while you're not responsible for his soul, you might be able to create an environment where his soul's more likely to bend towards the things of God in the same way that a husband who isn't happy with where his wife is can maybe serve her and lead and carry himself and carry his responsibilities in a better way so that it's more likely that the environment she's in is more likely to lend her towards wanting to be the kind of wife you're hoping and praying for. This is how we serve one another, Versus asking to be served. So, next verse. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Again, he's not saying those things are wrong, but that's not where your beauty comes from. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth to God. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, catch this next phrase, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. So just to be clear, I'm not asking you ladies to call your husband Lord. All right, that's not what I'm asking. But in Abraham's day, the title Lord was thrown around pretty frequently to people who had significant status. And so when Sarah talked to Abraham, she used that language to bring a certain honor to Abraham when she talked about him. Here's the principle, ladies. Would your husband say that when you talk about him, there's honor in your voice? Let me tell you what a lot of men have said to me. I just don't feel respected in my own home. Now, I usually say to them, well, let me ask you a question. Are you respectable? And I know the answer. Not 100%, but most men are respectable enough to get a certain amount of respect in their home. I didn't tell first service this. Can I? You're going to get out of me for this, but I'm going to tell them anyway. Okay. It has nothing to do with you, which we have you. <laughs> of. So like in our in our family, one of the cool things about being the pastor's family is we get all kinds of examples of wonderful godly people to talk to our kids about. We really do. So there, like a lot of you in this church, I've been able to send to my kids, hey, you saw that that. That's what we want to do. You saw how they did that? That's what we want to do. You know, when they did, that's what we want to do. Now, the other side of that is, is we get a lot of great examples <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> and I don't want to bring you into too much of our private family discussions. We don't talk bad about people, but some things are just unavoidable. So more than once, my kids have come home and they've said things like this. Man, dad, the way she talks about her husband in front of other people. And I'm thinking two things. First, yes, they know that's wrong. And yes, they know that's unhelpful. So I'm just telling you, ladies. Abraham called Sarah, or Sarah called Abraham Lord. I don't know if that's the exact way you have to do it, but you, I believe if you want a godly marriage, have to make sure that your words about your husband, can I tell you how I like to hear Jill talk about and to me? I I can tell if there's sharpness or tenderness in her voice. I can. I can. I can. I can. But that's not even the primary thing. When my wife speaks well of me to my children, whew, I'll run through a brick wall for her. When she speaks well of me to other people, she brings honor in how she speaks about me, it changes everything for us. The Bible says here that uh, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So there's a fear in here that if I give up, I'm going to lose something. That's the enemy. If I follow God's teaching in the scripture, I have something to gain. That's the truth. All right, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That's a reference to physical weakness. Most husbands can physically overpower their wives. And just a quick reminder, that's never appropriate. It's always wrong to use physical force in the home, right? But here's the cool part about this. They are weaker partners, but they're heirs. In the age in which this literature was written, women didn't have legal status. You didn't pass on property to women. But in the kingdom of God, women are heirs. They have a benefit. They have something they're going to get from God. They're treated with incredible worth. They're heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that... um, Treat them that way so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, there's a way to treat your wife that your prayers get answered. There's a way to treat your wife that your prayers don't get answered. That's the clear implication of that. Something about the way you treat your wives has to do with how God hears and is open to you. So there's four primary ideas that come out of these passages. Let's work through those real quick. And as I'm getting to run through those, do you have any thoughts, Jill? No. No? Good. Awesome. Good. All right. Number one, submission. Submission. Four focuses. By accepting her husband's God-given authority. Ladies, I don't know how it is you need to live this out. I just know you do. You got to work this out with your husband. Jill and I have taken now almost 30 years to figure out what it looks like for us, but one of the pragmatic things we use, we call it the 51% rule. So let me just give you an idea. What do you do when you both feel strongly about a thing and you're on different sides of the issue? So how do we think through that?
1: Well, when you have two people, that would be 50-50. And so that doesn't practically work if a decision has to be made. And so we have determined that, you know, in those cases where we are butting heads on something, it has to be 51-49, and he gets the 51.
0: Yeah. And so, like, that sounds like an incredible power trip, right, depending on who you're listening to. Except the words of my mother to my father terrify me. God will hold me accountable. That's how we do it. I don't know how you're going to do it. There are going to be moments when you disagree. You're welcome to a voice. I believe a woman should always have a voice. I think they should disagree. I think they should raise objections, how they raise objections. But some issues in a marriage are so important, you can't just be stuck. You have to decide. And somebody has to carry the deciding vote. So we have equal votes until we disagree. Ironically, in our marriage, most of the time we don't. But when we do, we do. And in those cases, with as much humility as I can, I say, here's the way we're going to go. I hope you'll follow me. And um, that's hard, I know. But I do that to the best of my ability with um, humility and with the goodwill of my wife and children in mind. And the more I do it, the easier it is for her than to come back. All right? So moms, let me make it clear. Your sons and daughters need to see willful, joyful submission to Christ from you. And sometimes that mechanically is going to look like willful, joyful submission to your husband. If they don't hear your kind words to your spouse and see you respect that authority, in their late teenage years, they're going to struggle respecting your husband's authority. We learn authority in the home, how to respond to authority. That's why the enemy loves to attack the home. Because when authority breaks down, it's real easy to put the middle finger up at God and say, no, I'm not doing it your way. Long before a person does that to God, they've done it repeatedly in their home and they've typically seen authority not done well in the home. And so we believe that the biblical structure allows authority to speak with power, the kind of power that ultimately protects and preserves, it doesn't manipulate or abuse. So watch how you speak corrective words to each other. Men, the bulk of the weight of this point is on you because how you bring correction. Men do not correct your children in such a way that you exasperate them or exhaust them. So the weight here is on incredible amounts of responsibility that we have to bring to the conversation. So there's submission number two, purity. Impurity, what we're talking about here is valuing spiritual things more than material things. So let me just ask you, are you pure in your motivation to your husband? Some of you saw your moms manipulate. You saw your moms lie. You saw your moms give the silent treatment. You didn't know it, but behind closed doors, they were using sex as a weapon. It was a bartering tool. None of that is biblical. And your kids pick up on it, and you picked up on it. You brought that unfiltered reality into your marriage, and it's done incredible destruction. But it's not too late to change that. And if you're waiting on your husband to be perfect and ready, you have an unrealistic expectation. You have to decide, ladies, wives, how it is you're going to bring your piece of the puzzle, even if he doesn't. All right? So submission, purity. The next one is beauty. Beauty. We're talking about here about being more concerned with who she is than how she looks or how she performs. This is difficult because have you ever gone into a grocery store and stood and looked at the magazines? (laughs) Every house on the picture is perfect. Every cake, every little squiggly is perfectly aligned. Every woman has had an army of people who have made her photo on that magazine cover airbrushed perfect. Perfect. And that's the standard by which women today measure themselves. My home must look like that. My cooking must look like that. My life must look like that. My career must look like that. That is unrealistic and unfair, very unfair. And I'm not sure that what is often created under the banner of women's liberation is actually bringing liberation, or is it actually bringing the same bondage men have had because they were disobedient to the call of Christ. Do not look to culture to tell you what your freedoms are. Look to the scriptures. So ladies, let me ask you, do you compare yourself unrealistically? Do you wear things you shouldn't wear to garner inappropriate attention because you believe the lie of the world that says that's your value and worth? Number four, attitude. This is by expressing a gentle and quiet spirit of gratitude or trust and humility towards God, her husband, and others. I'm not asking you to be quiet. Use your voice. Yes, you have a voice. Use it. Our family is better when Jill speaks up how you leverage your voice, how we disagree with each other in front of the kids, how far do I have to go to say my voice needs to be valued. I want to give you ladies two words that really matter, all right? Every man... Every man, your husband and your boys, if you're moms, every man wants to be admired and desired. Every man wants to be admired and desired. And he can tell by the way you talk to him and look at him whether or not you admire him or desire him. I don't know all that submission means. We use the word a lot in our house, respect. We feel like it's just a little bit more palatable, but we've done the hard work of unpacking the other word, Uh, submission, a lot. I just want Jill to respect my God-given role in our family. I want her to willfully and joyfully acquiesce to that. And I can tell in those seasons when it's easier for her and when it's harder. Every man, ladies, want to be admired. Let me, get, let me give you a, 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 a little exercise. It's going to require incredible bravery. Before I tell you what I want you to do, I want to tell you what you can't do. You can't use what I'm going to say as a weapon and as an opportunity to argue because that's just Manipulative. All right, and that's just got to stop. Um, before you ask your man this question, you have to say this, these phrases. Hey, I'm going to ask you a question, and no matter what you say, I'm not going to hold it against you. No matter what you say, we're not going to fight. No matter what you say, it's not going to come up next time I'm angry at you. No matter what you say, I just want to hear your heart on this question. How can I, are you ready for this? How can I admire you better and show you that I desire you more? And then just shut up. And let him talk. Now, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He ain't going to say much because he knows really what's going on here. It's the same kind of question as as this question. Does my butt look big in this dress? It's the same kind of question. (laughs) He knows better. But if you can create the right atmosphere and you say to him, how can I admire you more and show you I desire you more? I'm telling you the fruit of that conversation can be powerfully life-giving. Every man wants to be admired and desired. So after first service, I had two ladies come to me and say, thank you so much, Jill. You did a great job, they said. And they both said in their own ways, in our home, my children have not seen me be respectful to my husband. And now they're having a hard time being respectful to him. That's what's at stake. You may win every little skirmish. Let me tell you what you really want, Mom. You want to set up your kids to win. And the scripture tells you how to do some of that. You have to wrestle with these passages. If there's always a battle for authority in your home, always, expect your kids to battle with that the rest of their lives, and it will not serve them well. This is your heavenly Father that comes and says, women are deeply valued. They're made in the image of God. They are co-heirs with you in the good work of Christ. But in the home, in a marriage, there is an order to be established to be willfully and joyfully embraced. So if you need to send me emails because you don't like what I said, to the best of my ability, I'll honor you with those. But Jill and I have made up our minds that no matter who it upsets, we're going to spend the remaining years of our life trying to have a God-honoring marriage. And when we're given an opportunity, we're going to talk about it. And I want to take you finally to the very last passage that never gets talked about enough in churches. So ladies who are older, who know better now, you've seen the pain of getting it wrong. I'm going to take you to Titus, the book of Titus. Paul's words, we're going to end with this. Paul's words here are very, very powerful. He's speaking to a group of Christians, primarily to a pastor, and how to do church well. And he says, in a church life, here's what should happen. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent, In the way they live, not to be slanderers, so watch your mouth and how you talk about people, or addicted to much wine, that could be a problem in our church, maybe not, probably is, definitely is, but to teach what is good, all right? And then he says, when they do that, so when they watch their mouth, their life, right? When they're not caught off guard, when they're not giving up control through substances, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Older ladies in the room, you have a profound place of incredible impact if you'll leverage it. From the good and the bad that you've done, you can speak to the younger women around here and show them what it's like to honor your husband, what it is to come at her submission to Christ, which is 10 times harder than what we're talking about here in all areas of life. And you can encourage them. Look, you can have a job. My wife has an incredibly professional and demanding job. She does a great job of juggling that. But she knows her primary responsibility is at home. That's what we've agreed to. And her best legacy is built not in her corporate place, but with our, our children. And so when we got in a very busy season of life, what did you do? Quit. You quit. Went part-time. And then they begged her to stay. She went part-time. And that season passed, and they brought her back on. That's the power of job done well, but also priority in place. And let me ask you, what do you think that does to me as a husband who knows that my wife will put me and the kids first above her job? What do you think it makes us want to do? So you can ignore all my examples All the ways we've done it, but ladies, you cannot exhort these scriptures and be faithful as a disciple. You must wrestle with them. And if you simply want to relegate them to some antiquated culture, I'd love to have that debate with you. The New Testament culture was much more like the culture of today than we ever want to give it credit for. So, with that said, let's grab out our connect cards and uh, let's take a few steps together. We're going to do something kind of special today. We're going to take some steps and then I'm going to generally pray. And then Jill is going to pray. For the ladies in the room so on your connect card today i'm making jesus my savior and lord if you're not yet in a relationship with jesus if you haven't submitted your life to him that's the primary thing that you need to do and the good news is that he'll save you man he'll save your lady right where you are no matter where you are he'll take you he gave his life on a cross he was resurrected from the tomb he is alive today when you put your faith in him he can change everything one of the interesting verses <laughs> in the Bible is it says that the power that raised Christ from the dead, that's a pretty potent power, that same power can be at work in us. It can be at work in our mortal bodies. And the implication is, is that the power that raised Jesus is at work in your life, bringing to life dead things. And it could be that what really is wrong in your marriage is, is you're not right with God. And if you get that right and open your eyes to what he has for you, it can bring incredible life to your faith and to your family. Next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. We celebrate when people go under the water and they're brought up, that God has washed them clean. And the way you begin the baptism discussion around here is you just check that box and put it in the offering bucket when it comes by. We'll communicate with you this week. Next step C says, I will try to pray with my spouse each day this week. We showed you a little bit about what that looks like. Men, in a very simple way, you can put your hand on your wife's shoulder, hold her hand, And let her hear your heart for her. So mechanically, let me just show you what that looks like. Father, be with my wife today and let her know that she's beautiful in your sight and beautiful in my sight. There's nothing she needs to do to be more loved by me. God, in the places where she has influence, give her favor, give her power. Raise her up as a godly woman. Let her know that no matter what happens, I am for her and you're for her in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can do that. Now, if you've never done it, will it feel awkward? Yep. Yep. First time I put on ice skates, I'd never done it. Incredibly awkward. Next 30 times I did it, still awkward. I'm just now at the point where I don't fall down every 30 seconds. Repetition is how you get past awkwardness, all right? Next step D, I'll ask my husband, in what ways can I show you more respect? But I'm going to ask you to drill it down. You can use respect, but How can I show you that I admire you and I desire you more? And then finally, next step i I'll pray about the work that we have in Cuba for the pastors and for divine favor and the work there. So would you right now um, set that Connect card aside if you've taken your steps and get ready to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with? It's a real joy around here to know that we have people who faithfully carry the financial responsibilities of this church. And man, it's just an incredible thing to stand on this stage and know that I'm looking at generous people. So let me tell you what you've done, guys, over the last 14 years. You've given us a platform where we can boldly speak to issues as plainly as we have here. And already, after first service, it was clear that God was at work. About six people said to me, we have important conversations to have in our family this week. Would you pray for us? One lady said, I never saw my mom respect my dad. And it's incredibly hard for me to respect my husband. And he's a good guy, Ben. So, where else do we get to have conversations like this with such far-reaching implication? That's why when you invest here, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. God uniquely put us here to help families. When you give here, it's making a difference. So thank you. Let's pray about our offering, our next steps. Right now, would you bow with me, Father? I want to thank you that you speak powerfully through your word. God, I'm not wise enough to know how to apply these passages in everybody's unique situation. I'm gonna ask you, Holy Spirit, to do that. God, would you help us not to simply ignore what we've looked at today? Don't let pain or prejudice, preconception, keep us from being open to the whisper of your spirit. God, I wanna pray for marriages in this room today that there'd be a resurgence of respect, mutual respect for each person made in the image of God, co-heirs together in the good work of Christ. God, I pray that you give men true servant hearts for their wives. Make them the best servants in the room. Help them to find words and actions to wrap around the love that you're growing in their hearts for their wives. God, I pray for wives that their words would drip with tenderness and compassion, admiration and desire for their husbands. And it would embolden those men to rise up and truly be bold men of God in a world that right now seeks to cut them off at the knees. Let them lead their families well. Let them have a person standing beside them, cheering them on. God, I pray that in our church, young men and women, boys and girls, would see mom and dads who aren't perfect, but they know beyond a shadow of a doubt they're following their Savior. They love each other. They're willing to do whatever it takes to make the will of God alive in their family. God, the truth is there's some hard decisions to be made today as a direct result of this conversation. There's some healing that needs to happen. There's some people who want so bad what we've talked about, but they're They can't even imagine it being possible for them. I pray that the hope that only your Holy Spirit can bring would enliven them today. And God, I want to pray a special prayer for those that have been hurt deeply because it never went well. And now a relationship is over or it's almost over and the heart is heavy. God, I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, the Comforter to come alongside each man and woman who's there and remind them that you're not done with them. Father, would you take our gifts today and our next steps and help them to go much farther than they would ever go in our own power. God, thank you for establishing a place here that is committed to families. We pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son, amen and amen. Now, while you're giving your tithe and offering to help make this place happen, I thought we could, in, a, in another way, at the same time, just let Jill pray for the ladies here at the church. So, Jill, if you don't mind... Go ahead and share what's on your heart.
1: Dear God, thank you for providing us instruction in your word of how to serve our families and especially our husbands. God, help me and the women in this room to press into all you have for us. Help us to see submission not as an expression of weakness but an opportunity to demonstrate obedience to the call that you have on our lives. Help us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Help us to be kind and compassionate Help us to be humble when we get it wrong. Help us to be honest about our struggles with our husbands and our close friends. Help us to seek wisdom and instruction from those who do this well. God, thank you for giving us a church where we can have this honest conversation. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.
0: Would you stand with me right now and let's worship our great God.